Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. This week, I'm talking with a friend and ex-work colleague of mine, Dan Barham. With his years of experience in space planning, facilities management, portfolio optimization, and guiding massive projects that include one of Canada's first enterprise hybrid work programs, Dan has cemented his position as a Canadian thought leader in workplace strategy, skills to organizations of all sectors and sizes. Dan is currently the Director of Workplace Strategy at LeMay. His passion for evolving workplace programs is focused on unlocking a company's value across multiple fronts, from office footprints to the development of employee experiences that not only attracts talent, but retain it as well. So welcome, Dan. Uh, Dan uh, and I actually go back a couple of years. We worked together here in Toronto at TELUS. Dan, welcome. Uh, Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Sandra. Uh, So first of all, very happy to be here. So I am a workplace strategist now at LeMay Architecture and Design. And, you know, basically that the, the fun thing is, I think when, you know, people sort of ask, well, how do you become a strategist? You know, my history, as I, as I like to put it, I've got that collection of random jobs that uh, ended up all rolling up to give a good information set. So, as you know, we, we worked together at, uh, at TELUS in the past, but uh, I've basically done everything from be a college lecturer to a waiter to a facilities manager to a portfolio assessment person and, and then... Uh, and our topic for today, I've done a lot of discussion, a lot of work around hybrid work over the last 10 years, which, of course, thanks to the pandemic, bam, suddenly became a very useful skill set to have. So um, I know that uh, there's obviously a lot of things that we, we're going to have fun in this conversation today. But thinking about just the fact, as you mentioned about hybrid and kind of the fact that we both had an experience of hybrid, me coming into into TELUS, where the company had already transitioned into hybrid several years before that, you were already there. Can you tell us a little bit about what that that whole sort of project and experience was like? Yeah, it, I mean, it was really interesting because it was sort of, uh, I started off with hybrid and, and around that project as actually a real estate intern. So it was uh, I had gone to Concordia University's urban planning uh, program, and in your fourth year, part of what you do is a, a planning internship. So, a lot of our, a lot of my colleagues in school were going, you know, working for municipalities. They were going for not for profits, and it was sort of, you know, all of the various urbanist, um, academic kind of things that you know college students are into about making cities better. Um, I kind of had decided that I didn't really want to go that route. I wanted to do something different, um, but I wasn't quite sure where. And that's when my boss at the time in the call center, because you know, as I said, I was an agent at that point, said, well, why don't you intern for the real estate team at TELUS? And I kind of went, corporate real estate, that's cool, um, and did it. And so what I was commissioned for at that time was 
being a communications company, being a, a national multi-region company, the organization had a lot of footprint, had a lot of companies that acquired. There was a pile of space that they knew. And, you know, a lot of times real estate teams sort of have a knowledge of sort of what's ish going on. You kind of know how busy your spaces are, but you don't necessarily have, you know, even now the tools I think are still developing. And I'm sure you could you could give a lot of examples around that. But back then, you know, there were no tools that existed on how would you actually quantify what's going on. Uh, there just wasn't sort of the maturity around that. So I was commissioned to basically create a occupancy study or, uh, you know, a study for um, the city of Montreal, all their, all their portfolio to say, you know, what is happening in our space? So it wasn't just, is it full? Is it empty? You know, I basically built a matrix that said, you know, is someone on the phone? Are they using their desk? Are they in a meeting? Like what, it, what, there were about six different options for each work point to say, like, what is going on here? And then I spent about six weeks going to all the different offices, you know, every day, five times a day, walking through with my little binder and taking notes and saying, what's happening in this space? And what was fascinating at that point, you know, before hybrid, I think, you know, we should compare notes on what hybrid's been called in a little bit of, you know, they, what they uncovered was more than half of their space, half of the desks and workstations in particular in the portfolio in the city of Montreal were empty at any given time, right? So, you know, I did this study and then took it back to the, the real estate leadership and, and, you know, rolled it all up in, you know, that nice academic sort of way and said, you know, here's what's going on in your space at least half your workstations are empty at any given time. And the majority of what your team is doing is typically more, you know, collaborative and on the phone. And you have people who are full-time employees who aren't here. Like they're, they're working, as you know, they're working somewhere, but they're not working in your office very often. So, you know, that ultimately formed the genesis or the kernel of, what then became known as the work styles program, it was ultimately that justification of like they could do something. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think the experience that I've had was very similar because I, I started doing workplace strategy consulting in 2006, 2007, and the whole like work styles thing kind of started to emerge as well, where companies actually was kind of in and around the time, I think that the stock market had crashed, like we had that big crash and in the U.S. in particular, uh, there were a lot of companies that had all of a sudden all this excess space that they didn't know what to do with. And so the excess space was the result of just people losing their jobs. And so it was kind of like, OK, we need to figure out how to deal with all this extra space. And so, you know, looking at, you know, did they have leases that were coming due? Kind of a lot of the similar issues of what we're seeing right now because of the pandemic that has kind of pushed people out of the office to say, okay, we've got all this extra real estate. How how do we deal with this? And one of the things that had emerged back then was this whole concept of, 
you know, desk sharing, which is this whole work styles concept of, okay, people, you know, are assigned, you know, uh, you basically figure out how people are using the space and then you have a ratio or gearing ratio, as we often refer to it, to a desk, say, okay, a certain number of seats are used, you know, 20% of the time and therefore it has a, you know, a gearing ratio of X and another grouping of desks has a usage of 100%. So obviously those seats are assigned. And so it's that distribution of um, different types of spaces. It's interesting what you say about about hybrid, uh, as you and I have spoken in the past. You know, we know that hybrid is not new. All of this idea of you know new ways of working is not really new ways of working. People have been talking about it for 20 plus years. It's been referred to in different ways in the past. I mean, I know off the bat, you know, obviously flex, uh, AWE, uh, AWS, teleworking, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you go yeah. really back, it's teleworking, hybrid, what, liberated is a new term. Yeah. Um, we called it mobile work for a long time at TELUS. That was sort of what we settled on for the pre-COVID. Uh, was, it was mobile work, and then suddenly it was funny, though, because I don't know if you recall this moment in the pandemic where mobile work was kind of the term maybe, and then suddenly mobile work was a bad term, and then it was hybrid, and now who even knows if hybrid is the good term, which yeah. <laughs> which I find funny too. Because I mean, it's interesting because in one respect, it's like people are arguing definitions of things they haven't even defined, which is funny. But on the other hand, you know, I think you were you and I were there when we saw it at times. It's also important from a brand point of view with with talking to your staff about that those names matter, right? So, you know, we struggled for a long time. One of our classifications was, are you an at-home worker? And yeah. we would have team members that would refuse to classify themselves as that. It didn't matter that that was their behavior, but they didn't like the perception that they were an at-home worker, which if you know, I think speaks to what's also going on with perception right now in the pandemic. So we had to like return that as I think, you know, we called it remote or something else, right? Yeah. But because people just wouldn't adopt the term, but I think, you know, to your point, you know, even work styles, right? I know we've talked about this before. So what most people don't realize, and, and this is, you know, both of us, we worked on work styles pre-pandemic, but work styles is actually TELUS's trademark term for their actual program and of course so work styles the program is trademarked but work style what is your work style is sort of the non-trademark and that's really become part of the vernacular yeah absolutely it's been around so long right so and that's what you and i worked on and and to that point of you know we've been doing hybrid so long that uh it's not new and you know i remember when we were the weirdos in a cornet <laughs> or a training seminar who like I remember once being in a leadership and corporate real estate seminar and of course the instructor's like what do you do if Bob shows up 10 minutes after work with his coffee in hand and he's late you know what do you do about that and and everyone is talking about discipline and I sort of went well you know at our organization if Bob's doing his job we don't care like you know why is attendance the metric you know why why is Bob being there at 9 a.m. important if Bob is selling, you know, when you already saw this with certain organizations and in the past it's sort of like if you were a high-performing salesperson and bringing in revenue, you could kind of get away with whatever, right? And and those rules didn't apply the same way. And I think it's interesting to ask ourselves, like, with hybrid now, it's actually that same kind of perspective of if you're getting your work done, you're doing your things, you're delivering 
you know, does it matter what time you show up and where you are? But it's, you know, it's been around so long that um, that I've just heard it so many names. Right? It's true. And I think I think what you say about like the whole thing of high performance is true. Like, you know, there's been a lot of conversation over the last two years about productivity. Right. And it's kind of like, OK, well, how did you measure productivity before? And this is even before like the pandemic. Like I remember when I was consulting, it was oh, always this concern about productivity, productivity. And it's like, you know, this assumption that because people were physically in the office that they were more productive. And I actually remember, I think it was like about a year or so after I joined Telus where this thing started to come, go around because there was this the argument of people in the office versus people not in the office, managers in the office versus managers not in the office. And this perception that if you were in the office, you were more productive. And that perception is pretty well maintained across most organizations. And therefore, the, this constant like battle between in is better, no, out is better. And when you look at like what's transpired in the past two years and just all the stuff that's been written about how much more productive people have been or companies have been as a whole with people not being in the office. There's something to be said about productivity, but it goes back to that thing. Well, how do you actually measure productivity? It's a very personal thing. Like high performance is not just about, you know, being in a place that supports how you work. It's everything. It's your mental state. It's what's going on at home. It's, you know, a whole bunch of different factors that come into play that if all of those things lined up, that enables you to be productive. And so you can then do your work effectively versus, you know, having to deal with commuting, which sets you off a wrong path because you got your day off on the wrong in the morning, right? You come in and spend the first half hour complaining about your commute. But I, so I, th- you know, I think that it, that's, that's actually quite fascinating, right? And honestly, I think, you know, let's be real and maybe some other business process people would say no, but like no one truly knows really how to measure productivity. Like, and I think there's a certain aspect and this is what I love kind of about strategy is it's like on one hand, you've got hard math and metrics, right, that you can apply to certain things. But on the other hand, strategy is also like an element of psychology and human behavior. So this idea and it's kind of funny to me again that you say that even at TELUS and you're right, there was this idea again of like, no, no, our staff need to be in the office with certain managers. And I, it's sort of. I feel like it was an idea that kind of crept back in after launch because at launch, you know, the company basically was very clear. We're doing this. Get with the program. If you're not going to get with the program, go find a new job. You know, and and I recall that there was a significant cohort, even at that time, of management staff who was like, you know, it's like my dad when computers showed up in the government. He was like, I'm out of here. I don't want to figure this out. I'm, you know, I'm done. And at TELUS, you had that same thing of people being like, unless I don't know how to manage and you're seeing so many leaders struggle with this right now. And, you know, honestly, in some respects, it's where a lot of organizations should also focus on training your leaders on how to do this, because the reaction is, I don't know how to measure and make sure people are productive, because my measures have always been, is Bob and his desk on time? And then does his work look good? Right. The work look good still is important, but the desk on time doesn't really matter. And, and you know, that's what was the thing that was sort of fascinating with my own journey of hybrid, of realizing that, you know, some of my most productive and engaged times weren't even what you would think. I remember once I think you, you and I were both in the same session. I remember once we had like a full 
six-hour workshop one day to process through, you know, it was facilitated by, I think, a center of excellence team. And we were on the phone for like six hours talking through a whole bunch of processes with a bunch of the rest of the team. And conventional wisdom would say, Dan should be sitting at his desk or in a boardroom paying attention, you know, and, and again, our organization at that point, you were in Toronto, I was in Alberta, you know, other members of our team were in BC. So we were virtual by nature anyway, because of course, like many organizations, the travel budgets were like gone. So conventional wisdom would say that I should be sitting at my desk, paying attention to my computer, but I actually spent that entire workshop in my cabin laying laminate floor while I was on the phone. And what I found fascinating about it, and there's research that supports this, is I actually paid attention to the workshop the whole time. Because laying laminate floor is a repetitive, boring task. It doesn't take any mindset. So I was actually highly engaged and paid attention. Whereas if I'd have been sitting at my computer, for sitting at your computer, what do you do in those workshops? You start checking your email. You start multitasking. You start doing other things. You stop paying attention. You know, and unfortunately, I can't give the reference right now, but there's like documented evidence that, you know, folding laundry if you're on a call, doing a simple task at the same time actually will dial you in more because it keeps you from getting distracted. And that's what I find fascinating about productivity and hybrid work in this stuff is, you know, conventional wisdom says, and it's a bit of that trap of the old school way when it was the only thing possible was that you have to be at your desk to be productive. But we also know, I'm sure, through our careers, everyone's ran into that person who's at the office all the time and doesn't seem to get anything done, right? There are lots of people. There's even that gif or meme of the person sitting at their desk, resizing boxes, clickety-clacking, moving things around, deleting things. And if they, to a manager sitting across the room looking out of their office, she looks productive. She looks like she's busy, but she's actually getting nothing done. And I think... That's the really fascinating aspect about measuring productivity. And if, you know, you take the market examples of both what happened with TELUS, right? They implemented hybrid work. The stock report, the annual reports, the profitability of that company over the last decade speaks for itself. I mean, I lived through three three different stock splits in the 10 years I was there during hybrid. And similarly, if we look at the market data of what's happened to companies during the pandemic, profits are up everywhere. So by that measure, hybrid has worked, right? Yeah, yeah. What I think I would add, though, that it's interesting that we also know is true, though, is there are, however, certain aspects of work that aren't great hybrid. Or companies don't have the collaboration tools to make them great, right? You know, I don't think collaboration tech is always going to be a replacement for seeing someone in person every so often, getting to know people. I'm, you know, I'm a hybrid work evangelist who's a big believer in still getting together every so often. But, you know, you look at the stock reports of organizations everywhere and how can you say it's not productive, not been good. But what I found it was also fascinating was the tech company example of they found that their coders were, and I think we see this in other projects um, with hybrid work, is the production of their baseline, each individual um, worker's code, developer's code, faster and better. The problem started to occur when they started integrating the code together. Right. And I think that's similarly where what we have seen with hybrid work is, you know, if I need to 
knock out a report or do something by myself focused at home, it's like, it's a no brainer, like not distracted. I don't have to listen to, you know, Jane talk about her, how her dog got sick for 45 minutes and figure out how to get away from that. Right. You don't have to deal with those politics, but you, and you can just knock something out. But then in terms of being able to sit down and figure out how to put something together, you know, hybrid sucks for that because it's all formal meetings you know, you can't really just sit and tease something out and have a free willing discussion because everyone feels like I'm working from home. I need to be productive. So every, you know, we got to make sure I can't just sit around for an hour and chat, which it's that white space concept of like is actually just as important because that's how you innovate and, you know, come up with things. So yeah. that's actually it's a good point. I know it's it's something that, you know, a lot of people struggle with. I mean, at, at our company now, Relogics, we we use Slack, so that's kind of our method. I mean, we still use email. Obviously, we use yep. email, Slack, Teams. I mean, we have every <laughs> Skype, you name it. It's like flavor of the day. But as a as a team for calls, obviously we use we use Team, you know, to do the virtual stuff. But then the proper sort of one on one stuff, we use Slack, and it's like you know, I have you know a, my my immediate team that reports to me. It's like you know, we we use huddles, right? It's like five minute conversations. I'm available all the time. They want to have a quick conversation or have a, a, a question about something. It's almost like you're working shoulder to shoulder in the office. And really the key for me, the learning has been it's the availability. That's what creates that, hey, somebody has an issue. They're working at home. They're by themselves. They don't have the resources to go and ask a question. And so you need to be available as a manager. And it's funny because just recently I was thinking it's like in the office, People would have looked at that as being disruptive, like, you know, people are coming to, you know, tap you on the shoulder and bother you and you can't get your work done. And so it's one of the reasons why you stay at home is so that you can get work done. But that whole idea of serendipitous conversation and kind of like that whole thing that allows you to keep the communication going, to keep people together, to kind of feel like you're part of a larger team, part of a community is really about making yourself available and feeling empowered to be able to reach out to virtually anyone in the organization where before that would have been frowned upon because it was, you didn't go to certain parts of the building or certain areas of the building because you just didn't, right? Now it's like, it's virtual. So you could, you could ask, you know, anybody a question and they can answer whenever. And so it's, if you need something immediate, you would go to your direct manager, much like you did before, or you just work with other team members. And so that's been a huge difference, at least from my experience, because prior to, uh, to joining Relogix, I mean, it was typically email, you know, communicator, whatever else, you know, tools that you were using. You know, nobody used cameras. Like we, when we used to do virtual calls, you were on the phone listening, but you didn't really sort of have the, the FaceTime, yeah. which I find is better in terms of it's not as good, obviously, as being in person, but it's definitely better than just listening to, to someone. The listening could be like the five-minute conversations, but when you're having a, a meeting, it's nice to kind of have that sort of personal aspect of it, of just kind of you know being able to see someone. It's so funny that you say that, though, because on one hand, you're right. I think it's, you know, I'm the guy, even now in our my new firm, I like I have a question. I get up and I walk over to our regional director and I say, like, explain this to me because, you know, I'm new on the consulting side. I used to be on the, on, on the client side. But I think it's interesting what you say that on that if an organization has the appropriate 
collaboration tools in place. And I think importantly has set some norms and helped their team understand how to use them, right? Because we've also, you know, seen multiple collab tools come and go and never be implemented properly. And, you know, like e-rooms and things that just were maybe great at the time, but were never like staff didn't know how to use them so they didn't get used. So on one hand, I think you're right. It's, it is like, you know, so much easier to reach out to somebody to say like, you know, hey, five minute ping. And, you know, I like to do like not urgent, but when you get a second, let me know. And then it's sort of that asynchronous work or it could be live conversations that are available. You send a ping out and you get your answer back because it's not the big effort to go find somebody now that there's more of that digital know-how. But on the other hand, I think what doesn't work or what the folks are really struggling with around is a knowing who the right person to ping is if you're you know we used to talk about the institutional knowledge right mm-hmm. uh, half of being at an organ at an enterprise organization is just having knowing over time oh i need to find something about this i go talk to this person if i need this i go talk to that person but if you're a new employee how does that work right because then you have <laughs> generally speaking most corporate directories or most organizational directories don't give the, any of that intel. So I think that's that's where it's sort of on one hand, you're totally right. You know, with the right norms, people are much more accessible for not being in the same place. But on the other hand, because in the office, pre, pre-COVID, pre-hybrid, nobody looked at, you know, people barely looked at communicator. They weren't at the desk. They were running around. They weren't, weren't, you know, you couldn't access them as easily. But on the other hand, like as a new employee, you know, how does an organization facilitate that from happening or that to happen um, without having to sacrifice hybrid work? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because in our in our company, um, I mean, we've hired a lot of people during the pandemic and and we've got people like, you know, all over the place, a couple of employees in the U.S. and you know, company people located in other parts of Canada and, you know, never set foot in the office. And so first day on, it's 100% onboarding virtually. And so, you know, we have like a buddy system where you kind of stay with the person through the course, obviously not live connection for the entire eight days, but again, just being accessible, checking in, how's it going? You know, there's like training videos, then, you know, you're open and available to questions and we have like an intro where, you know, somebody comes on and we have like a, a call, like a team's call where everybody pops in for five, 10 minutes, you know, quick introduction, you know, tell you a little a bit about yourself, learn about the new employees. So at least you could put a face to, the, to a name. And every time you even as like a, as other employees that go in, that whole idea of having everybody on a screen and saying, oh, yeah, that's what that person does. And that now obviously we're a small company, so yep. having 50 people on a screen is not as big of a deal. Imagine doing that with 40,000 people, probably not as effective, right? Yeah. But um, but I think that's kind of, again, is where, you know, when we're talking about, like, the manage- manager's role and kind of how do you navigate or how do you help your employees navigate? Because obviously mentorship, le- learning, these are all things that we're hearing are going to be challenging in working in this new hybrid environment. And I think that was one of the things that I found I've always found actually as in terms of really effective is when you have, you know, a manager who can direct you, like you have a manager say, Hey, I'm trying to figure this out. Like who, who does this? It's like, let me find out. 
or I already know who that person is. So, yeah, reach out to that person. Right. So it's kind of being that person that will just kind of direct people in different directions based on whatever it is that they're they're trying to do or, or problems that they're trying to to solve. Right. And that's really, I think, where where managers can where before you just looked at, hey, is that person sitting at their desk? They're moving boxes around. Therefore, they're productive. Yeah. Is just being able to help people in a, in a slightly different different way. It's so funny, right? Because I think this is, and I'm starting to realize, like, because of my career trajectory, I guess, you know, I worked in a couple non-hybrid environments in my younger years, but this is where I'm starting, uh, listening to you right now, I'm realizing, you know, I don't actually know a different way very well because, you know, I graduated from school, I went overseas, you know, I did a little time in contact centers when I came back in a traditional management style, which, of course, contact center, you have to, you know, at that time, you had to be on cue, you were measured. But then, you know, in my early 20s, when I really started to hit my career, and this is the thing that I, you know, I always find funny, and I think it speaks again to having managers that are accessible, right? Because realistically speaking, do you need to have a face-to-face conversation with your manager? Or could you do exactly what we're, we're you're doing, right? We're doing. And I had like, you know, a couple of my best, none of my best leaders ever lived in the same city that I was in. Right. Early career, it was a manager by the name of Cheryl Parton based out of Burnaby. You know, we probably saw each other face to face a grand total of four times in the entire four years that I worked for her. You know, our boss at TELUS, Mary, same thing. Like all the time I worked with her, we probably only got together in person a grand total of like 10 times. And so the template that I kind of followed from some of the good managers, and I think what becomes important it is reaching out to your staff and maybe proactively checking in, making sure that they know that you're there, you know, and this is not, you know, rocket science, but I think it's the other aspect I find so funny of like, you know, if you've got good leadership training in, then is hybrid detrimental to your career? I mean, I could be an edge case, but I went from contact center agent to director in 10 years in a hybrid environment. So, you know, I don't think it's it's bad. But then again, you know, you do you do need to have leaders. And that's where I started to template myself as I became a manager of teams was, you know, having regular check ins where you're not just talking about work. You're saying, like, how are you doing, you know? How can I proactively support your career? What are the more the things that you need to do? What you know? What are the you know? And again, I guess there's different views on how you do this as a leader. I also was very specific all the time to be like you know this. My job as your leader to support you and build a culture where you feel supported is not just about you know are you getting all the work things done. It was also about making sure that I understand what was going on in their life. And it was like, oh, you you have a thing that just blew up well let me help you let me cover for you you know let me and not cover to like you know hide a a problem but to say like okay the next two days like you know life's happened so with hybrid you can go take care of that maybe you're working from you know some other location but i'm also checking in to make sure that you're feeling supported connected and connecting you to the right people and i think that's a hundred percent you know, it's so funny because I feel like that's the thing that COVID, you know, we've heard and has been said is COVID has just exposed all the problems, exposed all the bad management techniques, which, 
you know, but on the other hand, I think COVID and hybrid work really encourages you with the right support from an organization, because you can't just say like, okay, great, you're a leader now, figure it out. I don't think, you know, that was ever a good policy. But, you know, hybrid, in a way, that remote work requires you to be more deliberate, more engaged, to be better at it. And it can actually lead to better leadership and management by it. So a couple of things I wanted to, I wanted to, um, to also, you know, share when you were talking about like the edge case of your experience, the fact that you've worked hybrid pretty much most of your career. I have actually worked both as a, just as an employee, as a manager, you know, prior to this whole idea of working flex for several years. I mean, I started working in 1980, corporate working in 1988, uh, and it was 100% in uh, in office. There was no such thing back then of like flexible work. Um, but what's interesting is, is that, you know, when I became a mom and just kind of like different things happened where flexibility worked to my advantage, you hear a lot of like people saying now, or maybe it's propaganda. I think probably that's what it is because there's some other agenda of trying to get people back is that the proximity bias of how, you know, you, especially for women that, you know, you can't advance if you're working from home. I'm like, that's hogwash because I've done it. And same thing. It's like, if I look at the steps that I took in my career, it was kind of like you go looking for it. Yeah. Maybe if you're waiting for the employer that you're working for to give it to you and that doesn't happen, fine. So you move on. There's plenty of other employers that will support that kind of work. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to take a pay cut or that you're mandated to go to the office a certain number of days. You basically can find a, a, a work setting that fits into your way of living that makes you a more productive, more successful person that then just increases your value overall. That That's kind of what I found is that as you go from job to job and people look at your habits and what you've accomplished and it's like, wow, and you did all that without actually being in an office? It's like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal, right? Well, it's, it's 100% and I think that's the big shift too and where, you know, it's fascinating that, so I honestly believe that to a certain extent that belief that you have to have the FaceTime to be um, to get recognized and to be, you know, to excel in your career, it, that's a that's a bias from the old way, right? Like that's a bias of being in the office, at, you know, and, I, and I'll call this out as the, uh, the future member of this cohort as a, you know, older white man, the way that you impress me is by coming in and doing that traditional, bam, you're front and center, you're occupying the conversation, you know, all of these things. But the reality is, to your point, and we saw this both at TELUS, that, like, when it becomes about your deliverables, right, and a hybrid, in order for hybrid to work, it's deliverables-based performance, right? So, and that's the big magic, you know, for most knowledge worker roles is it's are you getting the work done and is it quality work? That's what all, that's what everything boils down to because you're not, you know, you're not in the office kissing my behind. You're, you're just, you know, typically delivering based on, on your, on your outputs, which, you know, in a capitalist society and sort of work, whatever, we should love that it's all about outputs, right? But it's, it's again, it's sort of that old school mindset versus a, a new way of looking at work. And what I found fascinating, so we knew, we saw this at the phone company, was that 
hybrid work and, and, and remote work actually kept a lot of mothers, kept a lot of families. Like, we scored very high on, and I can't remember the term of it, but, like, the work balance, um, what is that report that basically checks to see, like, you know, is your company hospitable to minorities and to women and to mothers? And, and the ability to do hybrid work always came back and kept getting pointed in pre-COVID for us of, like, yeah, my kid gets sick for a week. I don't have to, like, you know, take a week off of vacation. I can be in the house, you know, because half the time they're sick in bed sleeping and I just need to go support. I don't need to be there all the time, but I need to be next to them to make sure they're okay and to not have to spend, like, $10,000 on, on child care at the time, right? Um, that equation of, of, frankly, choosing between, like, to a certain extent between childcare and being present at home becomes a different equation because you can be home. So you don't have to pay for those things. And that means you don't have to necessarily like leave the workforce. And similarly, what I've, you know, I think you even told me a personal story about that, but, but, but the other thing I found fascinating in some of the reports was talk people with disabilities and, mm-hmm. or, you know, different, um, you know, vision impairment, for example, there was a fascinating story from someone who worked at a finance company uh, and she was nearsighted. And she was talking about how hybrid actually was an equalizer for her because in the office, everyone saw her desk with her oversized screen and her having to get really close. So every day her disability and it's not a, you know, not a disability. I'm using really bad terms from an ADI perspective. But so what happened when she was always in the office is every day the team members were reminded that she was differently abled because the physical manifestation was sitting right on her desk. And as a result, she was often treated differently. She could feel it in, in her interactions, feel it in work assignments, et cetera, et cetera. Pandemic hits. She takes all that stuff home. It's all set up at home. So now all of her, t- all that her team members see is her on screen like this. They don't see the oversized screen. They don't see the, you know, the fact that she's a little bit closer to it to see doesn't stick out. And she found and noticed that people started forgetting that she was differently abled. And then as a result, there was more opportunities started coming her way because her boss, she was like over time, her boss just kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, forgot and treated her like everyone else. So so that's where I think it's fascinating that sometimes hybrid is actually the opposite because people are tribal. People in a groups are jerks sometimes. And you can sort of feed off of what happens in front of you. But when you don't see it, suddenly, suddenly it again, becomes about does this person do good work? And if they do, I want to keep using them. Yeah. And I think, I think those are all very, very valid points. I mean, I think from a diversity and inclusion and just kind of having, giving people access to good, you know, um, you know, challenging opportunities is like everybody benefits. But there's also the dark side to that as well, where because you don't see it, I'm, I've heard of it. I haven't actually experienced it. I don't know anybody personally, but I've read articles where the opposite of that happens. There's like bullying and there's all kinds of stuff that happens because again, it's like, how do you manage a virtual environment? And so I think that's something that in due time, there'll probably be ways that that will be addressed, managed. However, it's just like I said, we've just kind of all got thrown at this 
you know, at the same time. And it's kind of like sink or swim, right? So figure it out. Right. And you would, you would hope that, you know, it's a very small percentage of people that, that, you know, are doing that. And, you know, you don't want that to sort of be, this is, this is everything that's wrong with hybrid is because this happens when only like 1% of the population actually go there. Right. The question I want to, the thing I want to amend to that too is like, but also did that problematic behavior actually not occur pre-hybrid, not occur in the office, right? Because, you know, I think similarly we've seen with so many people like obviously online bullying, obviously it's still an issue, but I think, you know, again, like the type of office politics and nonsense you would see happening in person. So, you know, it's always... One of the things I always look at when people want to, like, critique or, like, benefits of hybrid in the office is, like, okay, well, whatever problem you're talking about, the first thing is, did it occur in the office before? And if it occurred in the office before, it's not a hybrid problem. It's a management and an organizational problem. Hybrid, that doesn't matter. Maybe it makes it a little worse. Maybe it makes it a little better. But at the end of the day, you still should, if you're a good organization, that nowadays, because, you know, the other whole thing we haven't talked about yet is how hybrid is really hybrid and then COVID and employment demand has really unlocked and moved the power to say, like, you know, if you're in a crappy work environment, you're not grateful to have a job. You're looking for a new one that's a better work environment. And we have that flexibility. So, you know, I would argue that even if everyone went back to the office right now, you would still need to fix those cultural problems that for years have been sort of left to linger because everyone was just grateful to have a job, you'd have to fix those anyway. Yes, you yes. Know, whereas now, too, you know, it's even if you, you – what's going on in technology, the tech industry right now, like, pr- we knew that up until recently it was like, make my office more like tech, like it was the gold standard. Now, with what's coming out, they have a lot of these, like, gl- what were perceived to be the most high-end, most glorious offices, but now – they have uncovering toxic culture, like so many cultural issues there. Like tech also has the highest resignation rate now. I think it was the Harvard Business Review or just released a study that said, you know, their resignation rate is higher than healthcare right now. Healthcare, like the job that is really the most brutal job to be having in COVID, like more people are quitting and leaving their jobs in tech. So, so suddenly to me, that also calls into question of like, okay, was it really, is it these glorious offices with the beer and the ping pong and everything else? Like, you know, yes, I think staff like those things. Everyone likes the stuff that you can get in these newer amenity-based offices. But ultimately now we're starting to realize that you can't just like buy off culture with a ping pong table and free beer. You've actually got to do the work because, you know, this whole industry that did it for, for years, but unfortunately had a lot of like, you know, misogyny and toxic culture go on because it was, you know, only about whether your outputs were good or not. It's suddenly blowing up in a lot of their faces, right? Yeah, and I think I think the other part to that is is the trade-off, right? Like we've heard, you know, I mean, we definitely see it in the tech industry for sure where, you know, it's not – I was reading an article actually on the weekend where it was like, you know, this whole thing of – you know, the, the pay and the interest, the, the sort of how interesting the job is and kind of all these other factors. And it's kind of like, you know, if the trade off before was, hey, we're going to give you all these great amenities so that when you come to work, look at all the things that you get to experience. But in the end, you're going to, you know, have to take a, you know, a pay cut. We're going to pay you less. 
it's kind of like that only goes so far. Once the novelty wears off, you're off to the next thing. You know, the other part also is just kind of the brand affinity, right? Is, is that if you wanted to work for these big branded, you know, companies, it was like, it was kind of like a goal that, hey, you know, I could get a job working for, you know, company XYZ. And it's like, look at me, I'm working in this company. And then you get in there and it's kind of like, okay, is it really what I thought it was going to be, right? Which is probably why there was a lot of churn before. And again, put the pandemic has certainly highlighted. What I think is really interesting about all of that is, you know, we've all seen the articles with like Facebook and Apple and kind of these companies that have made huge investments in, and, and Google for that matter, they've made huge investments in their real estate and, you know, trying to bring people back in and people aren't having it. And it's kind of like, okay, you can mandate all that you want. It's funny because I was talking to my husband just on the weekend about like control, right? And that's like, isn't it interesting how, you know, companies kind of approach the whole idea of work as, you know, they're going to mandate that you come in three days or four days a week. And their expectation is, is that to work here, you have to come, you have to abide. And it's like, but really the, the, the person who's in control is the employee because they'll be like, I don't need your job. I can go work. I can go find a job somewhere else that's better suited to me. So it's like, who really is in control here? Like, there's this perception that it's the company sets the rules, the company sets the policy. And for you to work here, you need to follow those policies. Yep. Well, that might have applied before when everybody was expected to work in the office. And it was a only small percentage that allowed people flexibility. Now you've completely turned it on its head. So good luck trying to mandate to bring people back into the office because there's a lot of other companies that don't expect that of me, right? And honestly, I think we've hit, uh, frankly, it's the perfect storm of that flip. So 100% Sandra, I think you've hit on something really specific. And, you know, I talk, I've, sometimes when I talk to folks about hybrid and about this stuff, it's sort of the denial Right. Like there's a whole level of denial as to whether this will work, whether it's temporary, whether it's whatever else. And I think it's fascinating that all of these and as a strategist, this is where it's sort of both data and like other factors where I find it, it's it's crazy because so pre covid, if covid hadn't hit, we already knew that there was a looming retirement. Right. Baby boomers were going to retire. There was already going to be some demographic aspects that were going to sort of shift demand for labor and talent. Like, you know, I remember even three or four years ago hearing like, oh, you know, just wait a few more years and suddenly like, you know, you'll be at the top of the cohort and there'll be a lot more demand. But then layer in with this um, COVID, right? And let's be blunt, COVID has actually reduced, you know, people have died, so there are fewer workers in the pool, right? You've also, COVID has created this scenario where, you know, up until last week, a lot of people's investments did really well. A lot of people were in excellent financial situations. And that was also this generation, if you think back to what, you know, I talked about my dad leaving the government when computers showed up, mm-hmm. right? So now all these people who were already a few years from retirement, their investments are doing well. Suddenly the whole way they work is changing. And now a whole bunch of people are going like, I'm out of here. I'm cashing out. Like I don't need to stay. So that's creating even more gap in terms of roles. And so suddenly now you have all these jobs. I think the last report I read a couple of weeks ago was there are a million empty jobs in, in Canada right now, a million. And so combine that with the, with the pandemic, giving everyone this sort of existential crisis of like, 
do I like what I want to do? Am I, you know, where it is? And then now suddenly hybrid saying like, okay, so maybe you don't like where you are, but you could work for anyone because everyone's offering hybrid. And, you know, we saw this in our former organization where because we were the only organization out of a few that offered hybrid, we had an average tenure rate of 13 and a half years. Unheard of, like, you know, for it to be that long. Now, suddenly, and I think even our old organization seeing that, suddenly, like, you can go work anywhere. So that 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 shifting and they're having to, you know, hybrid's not a yeah. differentiator anymore. So, like, again, how do you attract and retain when you have a have a workforce that is highly mobile and portable? Yeah. You know, it's it's I love my new firm. I love where I work. But am I worried that I'm going to be employable or some, something goes, you know, they decide whatever? No, because, you know, I could work for basically anybody almost in the world that offers hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's very, very true. Like even in the two and a half years that I've been uh, working at Relogix, I've had a couple of opportunities from the U.S. that landed in my lap that would have never been an option if it hadn't been for hybrid and companies being open to hiring people in other other places. So it certainly opens doors. It changes your perspective on employability and just kind of like, so what happens if things change? It's kind of like, okay, I'm not as worried as I maybe would have been, you know, beforehand. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating, fascinating times. Really, really great conversation. We could probably go on for another hour. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I want to say, Sandra, thank you very much for having me on your, on your podcast. I mean, it's always, always great to chat with you just in general because, you know, there's <laughs> so many, so many good topics, but thank you for having me as well today because. Oh, you're welcome. Great conversation. You're welcome. Thanks, Dan.